All right, uh, open your Bibles to, if you have one, to Luke 12, uh, chapter 13. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you. Uh, if you just don't own a Bible in your life and would like one, we have, like, just take one. Just have one for free. There's some in the back in the lobby. Um, we would love for you to have a Bible. You can also just read with me the text that's on the screen. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, the night your soul, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, which you will eat, nor about your body, which you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Indeed, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For your, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. God, we thank you that though the grass withers and the flowers may fade, your word endures forever. And God, we pray that our hearts would be open and inclined to receiving your word to respond with love and obedience to the praise of your name. Amen. Um, I, mentioned, uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I had been thinking I'd be starting a series in Ecclesiastes uh, and realized that in the summer our upper elementary kids are in the service with us and thought maybe take a rain check on that. And um, I thought, you know, what should we be doing while they're here? Last week we had a family worship service, which was all the kids. It was 
It was everything you would imagine it would be. It was, it was fun. Uh, it, was, it was crazy. Um, and what I said at the end was we want to be a church where all of our kids grow up to be full participants in the worshiping community. That's the language that I used. Um, and we talk about that as a staff. We, we don't want to just have sort of staged babysitting times until our kids somehow are supposed to just figure out how to be adults as in the church. We want to teach them how to be full participants in the life of the, the community. And so um, I, I just realized there's probably things that happen here on a normal Sunday that we need to explain why do we do these things. Does that make sense? Um, that idea combined with the fact that we were coming into like, we knew we were going to have to ask people for money to have to do a bunch of stuff in here. And somebody said to me, you know, I've never heard you talk about giving money before. And um, I, I just don't know why you think people should give money, period. And I was like, that's probably fair. I should probably talk about that. I, I don't. Um, I don't talk about that very often. I tend to just start in a book of the Bible and preach through it. And if giving is there, I'll talk about giving. Um, but I thought, you know, we should answer this question for ourselves and for our, for our children. Why do we give? And this morning, I'm going to talk about that, not just in terms of money, although money is important. We'll talk a lot about money. But why do we give our time? Why do we give our talent? And our treasure. Those are the three things we talk about when we talk about being a member of Valley Hope is God has called all of us to give our time, our talent, and our treasure. And I know if you're like me, a lot of times it is easier to give your money than it is to give your time. In fact, you'd prefer to just like write a check to somebody than have to show up and be there with them. So we're going to talk about all three of those things. Um, this text is specifically talking about money. Money is a big deal. Uh, probably there's a fair number of people in the room who are like, Pastor, giving the money talk. Ugh, hate this one. I hate when they do this. Um, because money is, I would say, one of three things. Well, I think we kind of all accept in society there are three things you, you pretty much don't talk about in polite mixed company. Uh, money and romantic entanglements, and politics. You just don't talk about those things unless you uh, are in a room full of people that agree with you entirely or um, you, because you know that you're, you're about to fight. There's a potential that you're about to fight with somebody about all these things. Well, it's been observed throughout church history, both in Scripture and interpretation of Scripture, that the Bible likes to talk about three specific kinds of things that are a real danger to your soul. Guess what they are? Money, sex, and power. The Bible talks a lot about these things. Jesus talks a lot about money. And so we can sort of move into this conversation. We can move in and under the Scriptures and say, look, this is a place of particular sensitivity. I, I, it sort of feels like that feeling when you get sunburned, you know what I'm talking about, where like it's like a day or two later, and then it feels like if the breeze blows too hard, it's like, ah, that feeling. Money is like a sunburn area, and people are just like, I, I do not want you to touch this. So if you're feeling that right now, that's pretty normal. It's incredibly personal. 
And what complicates it even further is, guess where a lot of churches have gone wrong? Talking about money. Like you can turn on the TV and some dude with like four yachts is trying to tell you why if you would just give him more money, uh, you too would be personally blessed. Not as blessed as him, but eventually someday blessed. I have no yachts for the record. And I'm not looking, I'm not in the market for one. You can see in this text that Jesus already knows that there's a lot of emotional baggage tied into a conversation about money. How does, how does the, the teaching start? It's a man having conflict with another of his siblings over an inheritance. And he wants Jesus to step in and like, Make sure he gets his cut. I assume he's concerned about getting more, not about getting less. And Jesus' response is to teach on the dispositions of your heart in regards to money. And what are the things that he talks about? Anxiety, fear, the ability to trust that God is actually going to care for you. So Jesus knows that money touches deeply at something of who we are. And so Jesus says, you need to be careful. He says, you better watch out and be on guard. Again, so my translation is covetousness. You can call it greed. I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon about this passage, and he was saying, it's, it's pretty notable that Jesus says you ought to be careful that you don't accidentally become greedy. He doesn't have to give that instruction about, like, adultery, like, Oh my gosh, I'm suddenly, I'm with somebody who's not my spouse. You kind of know what's happening. But Jesus' assumption is, his teaching is, greed can just sort of sneak up on you. And you can just suddenly find yourself greedy. And I think that's especially important for us to hear. Because we are people who live in a profoundly wealthy place. Now, you may be saying, it does not feel like that month to month when I am paying my bills. I grant you that. I get it. But in most of the world, the luxury of having clean, drinkable water inside your house is an unimaginable wealth. And for us, it's just, or unless you live in Flint, Michigan, it's just normal. It's just the expectation of what your life is. We expect to walk into church and for it to be a climate-controlled building where we can be comfortable. Our complaint is it is one or two degrees either side of where I would prefer. And other people, they go to church if they have a building at all and say, I hope I don't get heat exhaustion this summer. Or I hope I have enough layers of clothing to survive the winter in church. We are wealthy people. Even if you're saying, I'm at the bottom of the income scale in America, I have good news for you. You're rich. It just doesn't feel like it in the moment. Because we live in that context, we have to be careful about wealth. We have to attend to the words of Jesus when he says, be careful because greed will come and get you and ensnare you before you even realize it. That is true whether you make 
well north of six figures, whether you are barely approaching the poverty line. We are not judged against other people. We are judged about by what we do with what we have and how we respond in the world. And so a part of our weekly practice, as with every church that I'm aware of, we invite you, give you the opportunity to give. There's baskets there, and now because we live in the 21st century, you can give online too. And so we invite people to regularly give to the church. Now, why do we do that? It is, for one, directly in response to Jesus' teaching about money and the Bible's teaching about money at large. The first reason that we give is to regularly push back against the power of greed. We know that our hearts are inclined to greed. Let me make that more personal. I know that my heart is inclined to greed. That if I look at and evaluate where I choose to spend my disposable income and where I wish I could spend my disposable income, the arrows point one direction, me. I am inclined to greed, and I know it. So a regular practice of giving money away, giving wealth away from me, is good for my heart. Because over the course of time and in the moment, the grip of wealth on my own heart is slowly being pried off of the affections of my soul. And let me assure you, the grip is strong. It's very strong. Now, people who have been in church for a long time have said, this is why we have the rule, the law of tithing. People should give 10% of their income. Tithing is an Old Testament idea. Israel was commanded to tithe, to give to the Levites. Levites were not given land. They had to live off the support of the people. They had a temple to support. Israelites were commanded to give 10% to the Levites. And actually, if you kind of add them up, it's probable that tithes, there were multiple tithes, so it's maybe closer to 20%, they had to give to them. And Christians in many traditions have, have looked and said, that law carries over. And the reason why that law still exists for New Testament people is precisely because of this. We need the power of greed to be broken in our life. Now, let me just say this. I don't think that it is a law for Christians they have to tithe. Okay? Now listen to everything that I'm about to say. <laughs> we are not subject to the Mosaic Law. I, I eat cheeseburgers, bacon cheeseburgers, with great joy and no condemnation. Hallelujah and amen. Okay? The tithe is 
comes from the Mosaic law. All right? So I don't think Christians are bound to that standard in the same way that Israel was. That relationship has been broken. However, most people who are asking the question, does the Bible require me as a Christian to tithe? What the question underneath the question is, how little can I give? And that question is a bad one. That is an unbiblical and I would say sinful question. That is definitely not the New Testament model. The other side, if you thought, no, I don't think tithing is the law, is good news, I have some bad news for you. The New Testament model of giving is 100%. It's everything. Go back and read in the book of Acts, and what did they do? Sell all they had to have it in common. What did Jesus tell the rich young ruler? Sell everything you have. Now, I'm not saying that you are bound by New Testament law to sell everything you have. I don't think that's what it says. But if we're going to talk about numbers and percentages, the New Testament verses are far more weighted to 100% than they are 10%. What Paul does, for example, in 1 Corinthians 16 is tell the people you should set aside money every week to give. That's what he tells the Corinthian church. What he tells the people is they should give cheerfully. Well, they should give sacrificially. They should take care of one another. They should give their money in significant quantities. It seems like a tithe, a 10%, is not the standard to rise to. It is the floor, the bottom, from what New Testament Christians expected to give. So my, in my family, we tithe off of our income. And what we don't do is say like, check, done, we got it. Although what I would feel like is to do exactly that. What we do instead is we ask God to help us be charitable, generous, sacrificial and cheerful in our giving with all that we have as stewards. So we, we have a regular habit of giving. Why we give in church on Sundays is to break that regular grip of wealth on our lives and, and hope and pray that God would help us to be even more generous than that. Now, you could be sitting in your seat and saying, that dude gets paid off of what comes in here. I can't listen to this guy. He is an interested party. Guilty, right? Uh, just, we put our whole budget online. So you can see what I make, which is whatever. It's, it's good. It's uncomfortable at times for to have people say like, hey, nice raise this year or whatever, but it's good so that you see I am, I am not preaching off commission here. You know what I'm saying? I'm not telling you to, to put money in there so money goes in here. That's not how it works. It will not work here, does not work here like that. 
If you do not give regularly to break the power of greed and wealth in your life, and you are saying, it makes me very uncomfortable for you to say these things inside this building, don't give here. Don't give here. If you give zero, give something somewhere else. Because you will be better off as a child of God if you will do something rather than nothing. And I would rather you feel safe and accustomed and a practice of generosity elsewhere than to sit here and feel good about giving nothing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, what I believe is if you're a member here, if you come here regularly, it is a good and biblical model to financially contribute to the place where you worship, to the community that you're part of. We have deacon funds. We, have, we pay for the ministry of Amy and the ministry of Daniel and the ministry of myself. And you receive from that one way or another, or at least people you care about and love do, you should contribute to that 100%. That is good. If you cannot do that because it just feels too dangerous for you, Better is better. Something really is better than nothing. So feel the development of your generous muscles. Push back against the power of wealth and greed and give someplace else. Try it and see what that does to your life. My word of caution to you is that you ought to hear what Jesus teaches here and not let your life be dominated by your fears from what you need and from the cravings of your wants. But instead, all of us ought to move closer and closer to the standard of trusting that your Father loves you and wants to take care of you and is generous and will be generous to you. Do not be so foolish as to think that you are exempt from the fears that Jesus is warning you about. Instead, look to where he tells you to look, the Father. The second reason why we give is all about that. Now here, I want you to remember, I'm not just talking about your money. I am talking about your service, your time. I, I am not looking for you to say, you know, I feel real guilty and ashamed about how much money I have not given to the church. I'm going to write a big check today, and I'm just going to cleanse myself of all this guilt now, and I won't feel it again until he, you know, five years from now talks about money again. I, I am not asking you to look at the programs that we are offering and say, they really seem to need help. I feel guilty. I should do something. I'll put my name down. That kind of giving under the whip is not what you, you and I are invited to in Scripture. The standard for the giving away of our lives 
including our checkbook, including our financial habits, including our time, including our talents, our gifts, our passion, is not begrudging, miserly, stingy, angry giving. It is joyful response to a generous God. And hear me, a lot of you, if you're like me, you say, well, God's been really generous, I owe him that. Now, to be clear, yes, you do. But that is not the rationale to which you are invited. What you are invited is to a life of joy. When Jesus says, you give your life away, what does he say? He doesn't say, that's right, because you owe it to me. What he says is, when you give your life away, you will find it. You will be free for the first time the moment you start dying to yourself. When you start giving your money away, you start seeing the generosity of God and all that he has provided and continues to provide for you. When you give your time away and you're not just saying, well, I better make sure this program runs, but instead say, I want to sacrifice my life, my blood, my sweat, my tears for the name of Jesus. What you will find as one of the people of God is you will come alive. Do you get tired? Do you get run out of energy? Do you have to work and look at your budget to see what you should and should not give and do this month? Yes, 100%. I'm not inviting you to a life of ease. That's not what Jesus advertised either. What he said, though, was it is good. It's better. You have available to you something you cannot buy with all of your time and with all of your money. You cannot contractually obligate God to give you those things. What he will show you is the way that he himself is in the world. We are the recipients of God's wealth. We are the people who have received from a God who, as Paul says in Philippians, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself, gave it all away, taking the form of a servant. And Jesus says, this is actually the way the world works. And so if you and I live our whole lives being miserly and stingy with God, I guess I have to give this much. I guess I have to give this much time. I get, do I have to have enough guilt to tip me over the line of making myself do this? I don't know. We'll find out. If we get rid of that and say, I will give my life away in response to the God who has given everything from me, you will find a God who I am. I am confident will present himself as a hundred percent worth it. You will never spend your life giving yourself away for Jesus and find that he is not worth it. You may find it's hard. You may find it's costly. I must emphasize I am not offering anyone a yacht today. 
you very well may end up with a harder life, a poorer life than when you first started giving your life away. But what I am saying is you will have a better life because you will find yourself living from the life of God himself. This is the way that God is. Why do we give? Because God gave first. God gives again and again and again, and it flows into me, it flows over me, and by the grace of God, it will flow out of me and catch me up in the current of God's work in the world. So I am not interested in anybody. I don't care how big or small your checkbook is. And for the record, I don't know. I never see what anybody in here gives. I don't want to know. I'm not asking you to just finagle your way into making yourself feel better. Begrudgingly doing more under the taskmaster of more. You already live under the lash of that one in the world. What I am inviting all of us to hear is the voice of Jesus saying, come follow me. Follow me in the way that I have shown you. And in his light, we see light. If you are here today, and you are feeling the weight of your own choices. And you're saying, whatever it is, money, time, talent, whatever it is, you say, I have been withholding from God. I, I have been stingy with God. I, I've seen every opportunity to be generous as an obligation that maybe I will or will not rise to. Jesus' invitation is to look to the Father. And maybe what you're realizing today is, I've believed bad things about Jesus. I've called him names. I've, I've believed that God is not generous or kind or faithful. Today, you need to repent. For all the ways that greed of all of those things has gripped your heart, you need to repent. And if you're like me, you're going to have to repent like every day. This is what I find in myself. When I get home and my resources are, I feel, totally tapped, and I just say, look, I just need this to be about all about me for a few minutes and not have these children you know, in my face, or not even in my face, in the room, making noise, and I'm just like wanting to push back at them. I don't want to give anything else. I need to repent for the greed of my own internal resources. So if you're like me, this is a life of repentance. And if you are here today and you find yourself as somebody who actually gives a lot of themselves, whatever, financially or otherwise. And you are maybe realizing you have done it for the wrong reasons. 
You are sitting there saying, look, I've given so much and I'm just burned out. I've got nothing left to give. And this was not the deal. When you have arrived at that place of burnout, that exhaustion and that burgeoning resentment, it is a sign that you have actually not been giving. You have been trading. And God did not ask for your trade. He does not owe you anything. The better news is he's given you everything already. And you've been spinning your wheels. Again, calling him names. Trying to earn what he has always been willing to give you for free and abundance. And so this morning, you need to repent. You need to give up that self-righteousness. And in your exhaustion, cast yourself at the feet of Jesus, who will certainly care for you as he cares for the birds in the air and the lilies of the field. And if you are here today and you've realized this makes no sense to me, I've been pursuing, and I feel rightfully so, my own ends my entire life. And I do not understand an economy that says you will have more when you have less. And what you may be realizing for the first time, after hearing a lot, or for the first time because it's the first time you ever heard it, is you don't know Jesus. That Jesus has been sort of an accessory maybe in your life or a meeting that you would go to every once in a while because somebody made you or, or forced you or tricked you into it or you thought you knew what Jesus was all about but you've never known a Jesus who is so compelling that would require you to give up your whole life and do so cheerfully and generously. You don't know that Jesus. And there's good news. He's here today to come find you. He knows that you have lived a totally different kind of life. And you are standing on the border looking in on a world that barely makes sense. And what he says to you is, come, surrender to me, trust me, and I will carry you in to a place you could never have imagined. And I will give you more than you can ask, more than you could ever imagine. If but today you would trust me. Today is your day. Respond to him and come find your life in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we need your help. We, we live in a place that is defined by material goods and self-focus. The best of us live in these circumstances. The best of us easily fall prey to the power of greed and self-obsession. You are right. God, we need your help. Father, I pray that those who have hoarded 
their time and their talent and their treasure because they do not believe that you actually are the doorway to a wildly good life. I pray that you would convict them. They would turn and they would leave their former life behind. And Father, I pray for those who have given and given and given all the while with the belief that they must do so to force your hand, to garner your approval, to finally have the thing that they want to manipulate into their life. And God, I pray that you would deliver them from their own self-mastery. They would be healed, restored, and your gracious giving. And Father, I pray for those who are here today who have heard the good news for the first time or for the 10,000th time and are finally seeing a glimpse of a Jesus who is this good. And God, I pray that you would help them to surrender, to let go of what they thought they would have to grip in their hands for the rest of their lives. And that today they would find the freedom of relinquishing to you all that they are. Father, money, time, these things are valuable to us. They touch on the deepest things of who we are. We know that you are right, that where our treasure is, there our heart is. And God, we ask for your help that we individually and together as a church would be a people who are Get generous, giving, sacrificial, joyful, not under compulsion, but out of a desire to run after and follow in the footsteps of our Father. God, help us to be faithful and true with what you have given us to steward. Let us be open and honest and sacrificial and integrous with all of those resources. Above all things, that you may be glorified, that we would only be driven in in, in, to the depths of your generosity further and further along together in this life with you. We love you, Jesus, and we, we are so grateful for your love for us. Amen.